Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitaki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 129. Uh, it's a new year. Uh, we're, we're back recording podcasts again. We're starting to get a little bit of a flow, so I appreciate you guys kind of ebbing and flow with us in terms of with uh, all the different um, gaps between podcasts. But I'm excited to be back here recording. I have uh, exciting guests uh, already scheduled for this year and today is no exception. Uh, today I have maybe a little bit uh, different kind of guest, something that, uh, you know, when he first reached out to me, I was like, man, I'm, I got to figure out how we can kind of uh, approach this and, and see how this kind of fits the audience. But kind of as I've gotten a little bit of time to, to look at his story and talk to him a little bit, I'm really excited to share uh, him with you and kind of the message that he's uh, going out with. Uh, his name is Leon the Jokester, Leon Purley. Leon the Jokester was born in San Diego, California and was diagnosed with an eye disease in 2016 called rhinitis pigmatosa. Uh, the older he gets, the more vision he loses. He worked as a case manager for eight years helping people with disabilities. Once he stepped down from his position, he transitioned into becoming a comedian. His ultimate goal now is to impact people's lives through humor and motivating young people to get into comedy by teaching them the basic principles of the art form and giving them the tools to succeed through his business called Kingdom Laughter Management, which launches January 1st, which has already launched in 2020. Leon currently lives in Tulsa with his wife of 15 years and their nine-year-old son, Jared. Leon, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, say hello to the audience and tell them a little hey, bit. Hey, what's up, everybody? And thank you, Evan, so much for having me on as a guest. I'm excited to be here today, man. Yeah. So uh, I want to kind of talk a little bit about, obviously, um, the comedy part of that, because I love comedy. Uh, and then obviously, uh, the, the, the transition that you've had uh, in your career, because I think that's a, something that we all kind of go through. Yours, I believe, is a little bit more of a, a drastic change in career paths, because you at first you were, you were helping people with disabilities as a case manager. Uh, and now you're kind of transitioning and, and becoming one of those people. And uh, then you've kind of gone off a completely different path. So talk a little bit about like what you were doing before and, and then let's get a little bit into the journey of, of where we are today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said earlier, um, born and raised in San Diego, California, dad, he was in a uh, station on Camp Pendleton. Um, so we lived in Oceanside for a while. Then my parents divorced and then moved to St. Louis, got remarried, divorced again. And then by that time they were done with me because I was done with school. And so I shipped out. <laughs> Yeah, they shipped me out to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, I attended ORU, uh, became a, a, a print journalism. Uh, that was my major. And then I graduated from there. But like everyone else, you've never seen to get the job that you have the degree in. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, so it happened. So I became a, a case manager, uh, helping people with uh, developmental disabilities. And then as time progressed after eight years, I had to step down, unfortunately, um, and I pursued uh, a comedy. Yeah. So I want to talk about that specifically because you, you kind of just make it sound like this natural transition. And I feel like there's <laughs> a lot to that. And I think sure. at, at some point in our career, uh, we're, we're, we're starting to question, like, is this kind of my purpose? Is this what I was created to be? And is it fair to say that when you were doing casework and you were helping people that you felt like that's the thing that you were supposed to be doing, or at least that, that you, you found fulfillment in that? Absolutely, Evan. My whole focus in life has always been to just motivate people, inspire people to be great in whatever it is that they felt led to go into, uh, regardless of the profession. And so when it happened for me, uh, I always wanted to be a manager of some sort. 
um, not like on some power trip type of deal, but like, oh, you're my boss and, and everything. But no, I actually wanted to be in that type of position. And this is kind of funny. My uh, salary, I had like a dream salary and it was 36000 a year. Ooh, <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> and, and so I never made it. The most I ever made was 33000 So I was $3,000 oh. short. But I worked so hard <laughs> to get there. But, man, when I was in that position, just helping people, learning the ropes, had 50 employees working under me at the time. Man, I wow. loved that job. I loved it. And like I said, unfortunately, due to the vision impairment, um, it crept up on me, um, like, unexpectedly. And when it happened, I was forced to have to step down um, by my own choosing. They actually, like, bought equipment for me at my job to try to get me to stay. But, I mean, it was very difficult reading the computers and mm -hmm. the massive, the plethora amount of information and the documentation for my employees. I was just like, I'd rather step down while, you know, while I have the chance. So the uh, Channel 6 News came out and did a whole story on me because of that and uh, transitioning from being a case manager on into comedy. Yeah. So um, I, I think – if I'm kind of picking up what you're talking about and, and, and kind of like reading between the lines on some of the things of your story, um, I, th I think that you are finding your purpose ultimately in helping people, not in terms of the actual job that you were doing, but in yes. the actual act of helping people and kind of being a resource for them and, and giving back. So um, that's awesome. That I, I think a lot of times, especially like you mentioned it too, like you go to college and you get this degree and you think that this is the career path that you're going to have. And then ultimately you get out there and <laughs> things change. Mm -hmm. uh, I, our paths are very similar in that. Uh, but I think what ultimately happens is that's when you're kind of forced with that question. Okay, now what do I do? And yeah. the, okay, now what do I do is like, all right, what are the things that I enjoy doing? What are the things that I'm good at doing? Mm -hmm. And you start, I think for the first time doing an analysis of like, all right, what should I really be doing? And I think that, um, once you found that, th then that's where you ultimately found fulfillment in your job, success in your job, obviously not to the level that you were wanting, just to the, just right, right to the, uh, <laughs> to the edge of it. Yeah. But I think it's important for people, especially young, young leaders, to recognize that, you know, sometimes you, you kind of got to get out there and realize that the thing that you were pursuing, uh, you got to ask those tough questions. All right, is this really what I want to do? And if it's not, what are the things that uh, kind of uniquely make me me? That I'm yeah. that I'm good at and and that I find fulfillment in, and then start pursuing those, and then you were able to find casework. Yeah, because a lot of times, I mean, when you're in college, you're not even thinking about the internships that you should be seeking after your freshman year. Don't wait until you graduate to be a, a great leader. You actually need to jump on it as soon as you can. You know, if yeah. you work hard, you can become a leader. If you're lazy you become a slave to whatever it is that you're doing that you feel like, oh, this is my purpose. But no, you got to get a head start early on. And so internships and whatnot. And when you graduate, then you already have something in place. You don't, you don't want to do it like how I did it, where it's like four years went by. All I was focused on was I knew that somebody was going to hire me and pay me 
six figures to write because journalism was my degree. I'm gonna move to Chicago and I'm, a, I'm just a major at, at North, I'm gonna be a, a, a college a student at Northwestern University in Chicago. And I'm gonna make tons of money, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna do blogs and whatnot. And that never happened. So then I had to recalculate, like what in the world am I doing? And of all places in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's a lot different than a Chicago or yeah. a, a California or whatever, wherever I came from. So I had to really, really sit back and say, okay, what am I doing? I work temp jobs. Those are always the best. Mm -hmm. um, after that, I got into the case management work. I worked for one company doing the same work for seven years and then another company for a year. So total was eight years working for the same type of company, same type of work and everything, just two different companies. And so I, I found a lot of fulfillment in that because my whole goal was to see people that um, were trying to be successful, but society had like counted them out. And then here I come full circle eight years after that. Now I'm in that same boat. Evan, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have a disability yeah. now. I'm completely blind in my right eye. I can still <clears> see out <throat> my left eye. Five years from now, they're saying that I'll be completely blind in both eyes. I'm yeah. like, oh my goodness, what do I do? And then that's when comedy knocked on the door of my heart. <laughs> and I answered. <Yeah. laughs> well, uh, so originally when I was preparing for this, um, I was, I was one of the questions that I kind of wanted to hone down to is kind of how you got through basically kind of being dealt that, that hand of I'm I have, I'm blind in one eye, I'm losing sight in the other eye. What do I do? And I think a little bit, you're, I'm not going to say that it wasn't difficult because I think it was difficult. I think it was definitely a struggle, but I think maybe the hope that was at the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel for you was that you knew who you were, you knew your purpose, and you were able to start looking at, okay, what are some of those options that I can plug in where I'm helping people, where I'm motivating people, and still find that fulfillment there. So uh, it, it was, is that kind of how it was, or is, yeah, yeah, was it a little yeah. bit different than that? No, no, you hit the nail on the head. And I'll say this, the toughest part in the transition was after I stepped down, the question that you asked was like, what's next? And so mm -hmm. what's what for me, it was I had to get on websites, find out what jobs are going to hire me, like who's going to hire the disabled guy. I do understand in society, Evans, there's this new stipulation of like giving people opportunity if they're blind. Like that's actually on the application. Like, are you yeah. vision impaired? Check my, come on now. If you check that you can't <laughs> see and then you think a CEO is going to jump at that, oh yeah, we got to get the blind guy so he can't see any of the paperwork and he <laughs> won't make the deadlines. Yeah. It's like, come on. So what happened was I went through the temp service. At this point in time, I'm like, oh my goodness, how do I interview and then not really tell them what's going on with me? So I, yeah. and I, I'll, I'll never forget it. I started working for an engineering company and it only lasted for two weeks. It was downtown and I worked for two weeks. They loved my personality in the interview. They gave me an opportunity, but working with engineers, you know, engineers, they're making the six figures. Yeah. The guy pulled me into the office after two or three days, and he said, Leon, I'm an architect. I'm an engineer. I don't mess around. Do you like this job? I said, absolutely. What happened? He said, these blueprints 
you've been stamping them outside of the lines. Uh, and now it's going to cost me thousands of dollars. What is your deal? Are you doing this on purpose? I said, no, 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 sir. I'm not. I'm not. So I went back to my cubicle after he chewed me out and I put a picture of my wife and son on the wall. And I remember sitting there trying to type the guy that was the uh, maintenance guy. He came and put a lamp by my uh, computer as if it was too dark, but it was fine. It was just the fact I couldn't see it. So uh. he put the lamp there thinking that, oh, this, you, you need more lighting. And, and that wasn't the case. So what happened was, long story short, I remember feeling so much pain in my eyes at that time. And they called me into the office the, the following week and they said, do not return uh, tomorrow because um, we need to we have to let you go. And at that point, I felt like Will Smith in the movie Pursuit of Happiness when he lost his job. And, and, and I'm telling my wife, I'm saying, babe, like they just fired me. What are we going to do? So I applied for Social Security. I got denied the first year. The second year, I got um, uh, approved. And so during that, that year, I was able to um, do in, in like little side jobs or whatever at my church and whatnot to help out. But during that time, Evan, I was like, man, what do I need to do? And that's when it dropped in my spirit, man. Like, you need to make people laugh and walk this journey with you. Mm. And that's how it transpired. That's how it transpired. That's awesome. That That's kind of what I was hoping it was uh, as you were talking, because I, I was going to kind of go a completely different direction and, and dig into it because I, I felt like, man, if, if I was to put myself in your shoes and to be working and to be kind of in this thing where like, I, f I feel like I kind of got to figure it out a little bit. You know, I've been, I've been yeah. doing this for, you know, eight years. So like, this is a career at this point. And all of a sudden that door just starts closing and, and I think a lot in, in the early version of myself, the, the younger leader that I was, my identity was tied up in my having a job, being successful and, and doing those things. And so uh, my concern would have been all of that stripped away. And then what's left? What, who am I at that point? Like, you know, the first question that you ask somebody when you meet them is what do you do? And so <laughs> that's, that's a cultural thing, but that's also yeah. like how I kind of, uh, how I see you and, and it, it, it tells me a lot about you. And yeah. so when I, if I was faced with losing that, that I would really struggle with that. So, um, you know, having the opportunity to talk to you and somebody who's gone through that and not just gone through that, but now has kind of come out on the other side and have, has learned to laugh through it. Yeah. I think that that's, that's really, really inspiring. And so, you know, obviously I think everybody like watches comedy films and it goes to the comedy club every once in a while. And I think there's some people, I think of like Frank Sinatra, which is not comedy, but I think of Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is one of those persons that when I heard him sing, I was like, man, this guy's a really good singer. And then I listened to him a little bit more and I was like, the dude's just talking with, to a tune. He's not really singing, you know? <laughs> And then uh, I was like, I could do that. So I'm singing along. And one time I was singing along and uh, the music cut out for a second. And I heard myself singing and I didn't sound like Frank. I sounded like me. And then I was like, ah, that's the difference. There's, I think there's just certain people that are really gifted in, in comedy, in singing and whatever else. And when they make it look so natural and so easy, I think sometimes you forget like how difficult 
it actually is. And so I'm coming around to this. How did you know for you that comedy was a natural thing and where you were able to find your voice in comedy? Well, that's a good question, Evan. My thing was, um, you know how people say, oh, we've been, I've been funny all my life and I'm funny around my friends and, and whatnot. And so I grew up around comedy just like the next person. And I feel like being a class clown, being kicked out of class because of cracking jokes, I mean, it was pretty much a, a natural thing for me. Um, even in college, I can, I can remember uh, my roommate, like guys would like come into our dorm rooms and what we would do is we would roast any individual that would just walk into our room. And so there was a, a guy that was on the phone with his mom once and he was, he looked like Tom Cruise. And so we would just go back and forth roasting him. Like, but we would roast him based off the movies Tom Cruise was in. So I may say, oh, this dude looks like, who does he think he is? Mission Impossible? And then, <laughs> and then my roommate said, who does he think he is? Top Gun? He's like, oh, he's Jerry Maguire. And we would just keep going back and forth. And we didn't realize it, but we were doing comedy. And yeah. comedy is just that. It's finding um, that voice in, in, from within and releasing it in that moment. And that's what people try to, you have to capture in comedy. So the fast forward from the high school years being a goofball, college years being hilarious, when the I situation transpired for me, I was like, what can I do to still be impactful and still be me? Be yeah. Leon Furley, Leon the Jokester. And I was on the phone with a guy I was supposed to start a podcast with. Um, things just didn't work out. He ended up saying, you know, I think God wants me to move to New Jersey. I said, okay, brother. So he moved to New Jersey. Me, I got off the phone thinking, man, I need to figure this thing out. So I said, let me uh, look some stuff up. I looked up um, the Looney Bin Comedy Club, mm -hmm. and, and they were uh, having um, comedy one-on-one classes uh, taught by Roy Johnson, who was a worldwide uh, com stand-up comedian for years. And I said, man, I'm going to take the class. Uh, he told me, he said, I, I, I know you're a, a Christian, and so are you going to be okay in the comedy club? And, and we're going to be using profanity and stuff. And I said, well, Roy, it has nothing to do with my faith at this moment. I want to learn how to do stand-up comedy. Is that okay? And so yeah. he said, yeah, I, I like that. And so I said, teach me the skills that I need to do comedy. Um, um, and, and, and kind of leave my personal life, you know, to myself. And so he respected that. I paid him 150 bucks. He taught me the basics. And then a few other people were in the class. Uh, not everyone graduated. Some people backed out. Some people just couldn't, you know, understand the, the dynamics of comedy. But man, I gave it my everything. I passed the class. I went up, did my graduation uh, performance, which is still on my website, leonandjokeson.com, at the Looney Bin. And bam, man, from that very moment, I said, I got something here. I'm going to pursue it. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I, first of all, I think it's cool that there is a comedy school because uh, that's not something that you feel like is, is something that's taught. But uh, obviously, like as you, you kind of get into it, you recognize that part of it's storytelling, part of, to, part of it is kind of like how you, uh, you your perspective of things. And, and part of it is just you uh, as an actual um, uh, individual and, and kind of yeah. everything's shaped around uh kind of the way that you see things and i think that uh you know you said a little bit earlier in there that you 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 kind of left your personal life out of it but 
um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious now just kind of knowing how comedy is, I feel like a lot of comedy becomes very personal, personal and in, and, and almost using some of those uncomfortable things that normally you just keep inside. But I think sometimes it's just funny because we all think it, but we just don't say it. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you, and obviously I'm, I'm assuming that you through your comedy, you're, you're talking about uh, your, your, your site and, and, and all those other things. How, how therapeutic was that for you to be able to start actually pulling in some of your personal life and, and really finding ways to laugh at that? And how did that kind of uh, allow you to grow as a comedian? Yeah. Um, for, for me, it was really like, I just wanted the opportunity to learn how to do stand-up comedy. So when I told, um, you know, the instructors, you know, my personal life, I feel like we live in a generation now that if you let everyone know your stance on stuff, everyone's so easily offended. And so, and then if you have a stance on certain topics or whatever, certain other people may like within the uh, audience may feel very uncomfortable with those certain like topics and, and beliefs. So what I decided to do was go in, learn the, the ropes and then get on stage and share my personal life to the audience, but not so much when I was in the class. So right. when I was in the class, I was just trying to learn the basic tools to be even do stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. um, I needed the GPS of comedy to be able to see, succeed at it. Um, my first year of doing stand-up comedy, it was mainly, the, the main focus was vision impairment. I mm -hmm. felt like that's how I needed to come out the gate because that's what I was experiencing and going through at the time. That was my trial and tribulation of life. And so as I continued to reinvent myself, as time progressed, then that's when I started to notice I didn't want to marginalize myself, Evan. I didn't want to be the guy that you pay 50 bucks to come see and all I talk about is blindness. I think mm -hmm. that would get old after a while. A comedian once told me, he's like on a worldwide tour right now, he said, Leon, you are going to be a professional comedian that just so happens to be blind. Yeah. And when he said that, the light bulb went off. I said, yeah, that's what I want. Because I don't want to be on stage for 60 minutes giving people blind joke, blind joke, guess what? Another blind joke, ooh, curveball blind joke. <laughs> I want to be able to say, people to walk away and say, yeah, he, he's blind, but man, he sure did hit those topics. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I was going through that situation. Hey, how did he know I was going through that at my job? And that's how I began, my, my writing skills started to transition, and it's just been phenomenal. So that's where the whole comedy, like my, the whole gist of my comedy career started off like self-deprecating blind jokes until I started like doing, doing more shows getting more comfortable. It takes a while. It's not just get up there and ha ha, I told a joke, X, Y, and Z. Like mm -hmm. you actually have to like think for other people. You're thinking for the crowd and you're thinking for yourself and you're putting that together, mesh it together. And then from there, voila, there's your comedy special. Yeah. And I think exactly what you're talking about that right there is not unique to comedy. I think that that is something that translates to the real world too, because we're, we're, we're reading our audience, right? We're reading people. We're trying to make them feel comfortable. We talked earlier about how you would use 
your disability to make other people feel comfortable in the room. And sometimes that's a self-deprecating thing, right? So we're, yeah. we're kind of bringing attention to the elephant in the room. Like, okay, for, I can tell there's something off with this guy. I don't know what it is, but he's joking about it. So he's okay with it. So now I'm comfortable yeah. with it yes. because I don't, I don't, I don't need to like try to guess what it is. It's like you're, you're going right off the bat and you're, you're hitting those high notes on it so that people are like, Oh yeah, well, you know, it's Leon the jokester. It's not Leon the blind guy. It's Leon the jokester. And once you can kind of do that, I think people listening to this and especially people in leadership can, can, can kind of glean some of those things from there is like, Hey, if there's an uncomfortable situation, let's talk about it. Let's, let's address it head on. Let's not allow it to fester. We want to be able to address it, whether it be an uncomfortable situation or in some cases I found in leadership, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to, you know, make jokes at your own expense because that makes you human. That makes yeah, you relatable. Yeah. If, <laughs> if, if you don't do those things, uh, I think people will just, oh, you'll have these people that are around you, but they're afraid of you. And it's because yeah. they don't want to screw up around you. So I think that that's really important uh, to kind of look at that. How have you been able to translate some of the things you just talked about into the real world? Outside? Like if they don't know that you're Leon the jokester and you're just meeting people and, and, and interacting with people or whatever else, are you able to kind of pull some of those things in? Do you feel like you're always on stage or do you feel like, uh, you know, you, you have some of these opportunities to just like there's a situation going on in the room and, you know, you can just do a couple of things and you can completely, uh, you know, calm the room and maybe pull the attention your way and, and pull it away from something else well i think well i think you know being a case manager and having 50 employees working under me at that time you become very versatile in your thinking you yeah. have to think on the edge i mean i was on call on weekends and so you have, you have to problem solve and with comedy if no one's laughing you have you have like a split second to problem solve that's a like, problem oh my goodness <laughs> I have to transition. Nobody's feeling what I'm saying. So now I need to go down a different path. And comedy, you're, you're, you have to make these like secret pathways in your brain where you can go down any direction and, and, and take the crowd. Like if all the crowd, if the whole crowd is following me down this way and they say, Leon, it's a dead end and we're unhappy. I say, okay, turn around. We're going this way, guys. <laughs> And yeah. so that's how comedy is. It's not just this, like, oh, my goodness, I'm on stage telling a joke. That's why most people are afraid to try it, because they realize there's a joke. When you look at stand-up comedy, it looks easy. It just looks like you're telling a right. story. But yeah. when you're up there, there's so many thoughts flowing through your head because you don't know if someone may heckle you. You don't know if someone may throw something at you. You don't know if, you know, if somebody's going to um, stand up and walk out offended. You don't know if you're going to get, you know, for me, a standing ovation. Like, are you guys standing? Yeah. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, there's so many different elements that, that tie into it. But I mean, for me, I can go into a room and everyone, rec like, they recognize what I'm doing and they respect what I'm doing. And I can, like, diffuse situations just because of my work ethic from the past as a case manager. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been kind of going this direction a little bit here and I think you've been kind of really giving your um, your your unique, your unique story to all of this and you know when we're looking at this year you know this year's 2020 and so you know I feel like everybody's always talking about like what's your vision for coming back and and uh, you know there, there are all this all these analogies to vision 
And uh, I'm like, man, that just seems too easy for me. How, how do we kind of take a, a situation um, like what, what we're talking about with you? And obviously we're talking about the fact that you've lost your vision, but I don't think you've lost your, your true vision. You, you've lost your sight, yeah. but you still have the vision. What I would say is that you don't have to have sight to have perspective. And I think when you're looking at what, what perspective means, it's how you perceive things or the thing that you look through. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm talking to people and um, I can say something and they, they automatically respond. And that's because of the lens of their perspective, their history and their past and, and where they're looking from is what's determining that response. And I think your situation is a situation where you had a choice in your perspective. You could have gone to the uh, looking at the struggle, looking at woe is me, looking at all of these different challenges that have now all of a sudden come on you that you didn't sign up for, you didn't ask for this, but this is something that happened. But instead, you chose the perspective of this is an opportunity. And let me dig a little bit deeper into who I am, what I was made to be, what is my purpose and let me use this perspective to find something that I'm that much more passionate about. So um, when you think of comedy and the thing that you're doing, do you believe that your perspective is actually what makes those stories funny? Or is it just in some cases the story itself? Well, I think a lot of people think disabilities is, is a, a laughing matter and and they may not say it, but I think when you look at a human being and they don't seem like they have all of their faculties, I think that that becomes like laughable sometimes to some people. And and mm-hmm. when we're talking about like, oh, I laughed at that person because they're obese. I laughed at that person because they're blind. I laughed at that person because they're crippled. That's because their perspective, like you said, may have been like, it, 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 had, it has evolved around, of the, uh, around their upbringing. If they were the, the bully in school, they will find those things funny. But again, when I'm on stage, my perspective is to bring awareness to like, blind, like, like blindness, but also awareness to how I'm going through life myself mm-hmm. and how can we get through this life together. Um, I didn't want to be marginalized or put in a box with vision impairment, but I knew I had to address the elephant in the room. I like what you said about the 2020 vision. Like the vision that I have is to take um, comedy to places that have been forgotten, that mm-hmm. people aren't uh, able to see with clarity. So what, what does that look like, Leon? Well, the average comedian goes to where? The comedy club. But what if Leon, the jokester, decided to look to the right and not with my natural eyes, but with the vision that I have in my heart, and I see a whole bunch of people at a a retirement home that have been forgotten. Nobody Mm -hmm. comes to visit them anymore. So Leon, take the talent of comedy to them and brighten up their day. And that's what we did. We did 30 retirement homes in 2019 and counting. Mm -hmm. And so then I looked to the left. Not with my natural eyes, but with the vision that's in my heart. 
And I said, let's go to nonprofit organizations that do fundraisers for people that have cancer, for people that are struggling with depression and et cetera. So basically with my comedy is to be so versatile that I'm not just put in a box with, oh, he's the woe is me comedian. He is the guy that has the perspective for the people. A true leader has to be able to reach millions of people millions of people you can't just be a you can't be a good leader and just say well we're gonna stay in our little bubble over here and not go out and i know for me being a christian and going to church and everything a lot of times people will say well the christian people just stay in the church they don't do anything for the community but how about i re i I changed that into in 2020 and i go to the people so that's what I'm doing, Evan. I'm going to the retirement homes, the nonprofit organizations, the comedy clubs, the churches, the YMCAs, you know, the at-risk youth. You know, I want to go everywhere with this comedy thing. And that opens up more doors for you to be a bigger and better leader for the community. Absolutely, man. I, I think that's awesome. I think that's great. I, I think that uh, sometimes, you know, we look at success as like i want to have a netflix special or i want to you know be a headliner i want to do these things and i think everybody's success is different and so for you your success is not to not to marginalize those things because those things are great yeah. uh, but but <laughs> yeah so netflix if you're listening he, he, i'm still interested but uh, i still want the special <laughs> yeah but at the same time I think that when we start looking at true success, personal success, fulfillment success, that, you know, reaching those people that are forgotten. I mean, that we were talking earlier about Justin Wren and his fight for the forgotten. I mean, his his success and really operating in his true purpose came from when he stopped fighting for himself and he started fighting for others. And I think that's such a powerful message. And I feel feel like you in your own way are doing that through your comedy, your situation and, and, and everything else. And I think if, if I was to encourage the person listening today, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot of things and we're, 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 we're talking obviously about comedy and we're talking about perspective, but I, I want to kind of hit a little bit of a highlight on that. You have the ability to choose your perspective. You have the ability to choose whether you want to uh, actually make a difference or stay in that bubble. Like you were talking about Leon. I, I think that a lot of times a no decision is a decision. Well, I, not a lot of times it, it, it is no decision is, is still a decision. And I think a lot of people get stuck in the no decision and they, 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 they are more concerned about maybe, uh, you know, weighing all the options and trying to figure out what they actually should do instead of just taking action. And sometimes we just need to take that action, go out there, get a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, it, it should not take you, losing your sight to go out and do these things. This is for you. Uh, I'm sure you would have enjoyed keeping your sight um, if you could have, but I think at the same time, this has helped get you that much closer to your purpose. And yes. uh, you know, sometimes people I think will look at that and say, well, I, I think I probably would have gotten to comedy in some capacity, but uh, I, I'm almost curious to ask you, do you think you would have gone to comedy if you hadn't have lost your sight or would you maybe be 16 years as a caseworker? Uh, do you think that uh, the circumstances yeah. changed or do you think that you were actually uh, kind of being led into your purpose with this? Yeah, yeah. I was definitely led into my purpose, man, because there's no way I would have been a stand-up comedian if I still had my sight. I would still yeah. be a case manager, 
um, probably it would be 12 years, actually. Wow, that's crazy. Time flies. Yeah, yeah it would be 12 years now that I would have uh, been a case manager and had that experience under my belt and still growing because the company that I was working for, they were phenomenal. Uh, all the coworkers were great. I mean, I really enjoyed going in. Actually, I was the only male. Uh, the only male. Well, then that was a great job. Yeah, yeah. It was like 15 <laughs> females. I was like, all these women in here, man. Like, it's going, what's going on? But no, it was cool. It was real cool. I really liked helping everybody. And um, I was funny. I was always cracking jokes. I was the goofball at, at any job I've ever had. I was always the goofball. But I, I, I still knew how to strategically get the job done. And uh, just being able to uh, drive everywhere, that was part of the job, doing house visits and stuff. And yeah. so I missed that. I missed all of that, Evan. But for me, it was time to problem solve really fast because I didn't want to be the guy that was like, oh, I'm, I'm getting a disability check. And then the society, you know how they look at that, like, oh, we got to work 40 hours a week and pay for these people on disability. So I wanted, I wanted to be the person that say, hey, I do get the assistance, but check this out. I'm also very proactive in the community and and I'm traveling like I'm on airplanes mm -hmm. flying to do comedy shows and and people are coming out and just like recently <clears throat> someone that told me two years ago don't even bother to contact a certain organization right because they said that they didn't give that person a chance do you know that same organization is worth 30 million dollars today and they called me last week and nice. i was doing a show february 7th uh yes. at that facility and so thank you so much man and i'm like thinking this is crazy like this was a a, a opportunity to do stand-up that i had on my bucket list for 2030 and it actually came two hey. years no 10 years in advance but two years after doing comedy, starting to do comedy. Wow. So that just shows me right there that the more hard work uh, and the more you become a leader in the community, and then those doors will continue to open and they'll get bigger and bigger because that one reference from that $30 million organization will now be able to travel to this next organization I'm about to reach out to. And it just becomes the ripple effect. I'm telling you in life where it's like, we, we, you have an opportunity over here, opportunity over there. And before you know it, you're just like, oh my goodness, my dream, my purpose is really unfolding right before my eyes. And yeah. so I have to continue to pursue it. And that right there is like how you get the, the buzz and the name is out there because people are like, hey man, have you had Leon over here? Leon is over here. He just did this show. He's reaching the people in the community. It's not just about him. It's about going out and bringing awareness to whatever you're, you have going on. You can have cancer. Let's do a fundraiser. You can have a dis disability. Let's do a fundraiser. Let's do a show. Because there's millions of comedians, Evan, in the world. What makes you stand out? What makes me stand out? Well, obviously, the blindness is because not that many blind comedians out there that are successful. Right. But for me, it's going to be that Leon the Jokester is for the people and not just getting up there for the fame and the fortune. A lot of people will do a thousand open mics every week, every month, just so they can get to that Netflix level. But how mm. about you allow... Um, your purpose to unfold in just the right time where Netflix contacts you. You don't even look for Netflix to contact you because they don't, you can't contact Netflix. They actually contact you. Yeah. And so let that, so work on a high level. I always say this, work at such a high level that they have to contact you. And then that's when you know that you're on the right path.
Hey, man, I don't want to make you jealous or anything, but Netflix just recently contacted me yesterday. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it was because I didn't pay my bill. But hey, it, they, you're right. They did find me. They, they knew that I didn't pay and they, they were tracking me down. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that that is, I mean, that's the perspective that I'm talking about. That's the, that's the thing that I think I'm trying to get across here is that, you know, it's not a, I have a disability, so, you know, I can't do anything. You're, you're, I mean, you made the statement that you didn't want to just sit there and collect. You wanted to be a contributing member of society. And that took you getting outside of your comfort zone, you know, doing a little bit of self analysis and saying, okay, you know, what makes me, me, like, what are my strengths? What do I love doing? I have this, uh, you know, I have this, obviously this, this thing that uh, prohibits me from doing things that involve computers uh, and driving cars, but that's not everything that there is to life. So obviously there's other things that I can do. And through that, you found comedy. And I think, and I wanted to ask you about this because, um, for me, uh, the word hope has like a whole new meaning to me. I've, I've been in uh, contact with organizations that their sole purpose is giving hope to other people. And I think some of through some of the things that you're doing, you're, 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 you're inspiring people and you're giving them hope. When you were in the situation where you found out that, you know, you were losing your sight and in five years it was going to be completely gone. Um, I believe the opposite of hope is despair. And then we start kind of tracking in that direction. But at some point there's this, there's this moment where you, whether it's you find out about somebody who's in a similar situation to you and they were able to do X, Y, and Z. I think of a guy like Jim Stovall. Jim Stovall was a guy uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that oh, yeah. ha- has gone completely blind. Probably, I, th- I think he has the same thing that you had. And uh, he found himself in a 10 by 10 room and he was yeah. perfectly content to say, I'm just going to stay here until I die. And then he started asking himself the question like, well, what do I still love to do? Well, I, I, I still love movies. Uh, I don't have to actually see the movie to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. And then he came up with a narrative television network. And I think, uh, you know, when you listen to him speak, some of the most difficult things that he's ever done was to take the 50 steps from the front of his house to his mailbox. And once he was able to overcome that, and once he was able to get outside of his comfort zone and, 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 you know, kind of relearn how to have a life, he's gone on to win awards. He's gone on to write, you know, I want to say he's written over 30 books. Uh, He's produced movies. He's, he's done all of these different things. And, and I would say that if I was in your situation, I'd be like, man, uh, if Jim Stovall can do it, then I can do it. And so I start to kind of get that hope. So who were some of the people in your life whenever that was kind of happening that was starting to give you that hope that it wasn't the end of, of, of who you were as a person, but only the beginning. Yeah. 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 First of all, it was, it was God. Um, definitely want to give him credit. And then uh, was my wife um, um, just stand, standing by my side because, you know, in life, man, like people, they get married and everything seems like it's perfect when you get married. But then all of a sudden you get a disease or a disability. What happens? Divorce. Oh, you have cancer. Oh, I can't deal with this. I'm out of here. Oh, you're yeah. blind? I'm out of here. I got to deal with your disability for the rest of my days. When I marry you, you were able to see. And and so I'm glad that my wife didn't leave me. Evan, did she stay <laughs> by my side, man? That's yeah, so that's awesome. That's what, my, that's what my new show, <laughs> hey. Love is Blind. That's my new show, man. So she's still <laughs> finding my son. He um he's, Our son is nine years old. Yeah. And he's like, he asked me like very 
challenging questions like, Daddy, am I going to be blind one day when I'm in my 30s? Because oh, uh, I'm 36. And I was like, no, no, no. I think the gene skipped you, son. It's it's all good, man. You, you, you can see very well. You help Daddy out and everything. Even though when I tell him to go to bed at night, I'll hide the Nintendo Switch and he'll find it. And, I'll, I, <laughs> and, and I'm like, hey, did, when did you come in here and get that? He just grabbed it. <laughs> and, I see him. and so he's you need, I think you just need a new hiding spot. I don't I don't yeah, know that I it has anything to do. <laughs> but uh, but 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 other than that, like you know, um, my tour manager uh, Kevin Whitaker in Texas, he's been a great inspiration, man. I'm telling you, every other night we're on the phone, and he's just inspiring me to do greater things, and uh, uh, he helps me out uh, tremendously. So with God, my wife, son. Kevin, um, uh, Matthew Stauffer, he's another good friend of mine. Terrell Royal is another good friend of mine. These are individuals that help me to the stage at my comedy shows. These are individuals that uh, fellowship with me on a day-to-day basis. These are people that pray for me. They, they give me hope. They, they help me get to the next level. Um, I'll be honest with you. When it happened, a lot of people kind of disappeared out of my life. It was like the weirdest thing. I don't think everyone did it on purpose. But it's weird. It was kind of strange when I was able to drive. Everybody was around Leon. I, I mean, like, no matter where I went. But then once the disability took place and I was posting it online on Facebook and everything, I noticed some of the people I would see all the time wouldn't come by and knock on the door and knew exactly where I lived. And so mm. that kind of like bothered me for months on top of months. Cause I'm thinking, man, where is everybody at? Like, I need people around me. I don't want to be isolated in the basement. And so my wife said, no, everyone's living their life. Everything's good. You know, um, you, you will see them in passing. And so now that the success is on the level that it's at, you know, you, you know how life is. People come back around or you'll see mm-hmm. a certain, oh, like more likes on Facebook. I don't know. But, I'm not going to waste my life thinking about who should have, who would have, who could have called, who could have knocked on the door and everything. All I have to do is focus on my purpose and that's impacting people's lives. And so that's where my hope comes from. It comes from God, my family and my friends. That's awesome, man. Well, Leon, I appreciate you taking the time to, to speak to the audience. I want to give you a, a, a quick opportunity. Uh, how do people connect with you? Obviously, uh, if they want to come see your shows and, and then also through the kingdom laughter management thing that you're doing, uh, how, how do they find you? How do they, uh, if they want to contact you and actually have yeah. you do a show, how, how does that all work? Yes, well, Kingdom Laughter Management is an agency. The uh, the CEO is Kevin Whitaker, my tour manager. He created that. We already launched and everything. I'm the uh, co-owner of the company. And what we want to do is bring um, a new version of comedy to the, the surface, bringing awareness to help people, no matter what your disability uh, may be, no matter what, even if you don't have a disability, we want you to be able to bring your, I always say, they say family oriented, but I say you can bring your newborn baby and you can bring your 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 grandma who just turned 100 years old to our <laughs> shows and be able to enjoy yourself. And so to get in contact with us, you go to uh, uh, leonthejokester.com. And when you go there, you, that's the website. You'll see all the tour dates. You'll also be able to click on the Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which is also Leon the Jokester. But when you're on the website, leonthejokes.com, you'll be able to see all of the 
different things that you can um, click on to uh, find out where, where we will be at next and the future shows for 2020. And then along with everything that we do, it's always on YouTube um, under Leon the Jokester. Uh, everything's Leon the Jokester. <laughs> and so, <laughs> type in that, so if you type in our website, leonthejokester.com, you, everything comes up and you won't have a problem seeing us. We may not see you, but you'll see us. Hey, you teed it up perfectly. Leon, <laughs> I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Uh, I told you earlier that uh, I always give my guests this opportunity to kind of share your message to young business leaders. You said you're 36. So when I look at that, I mean, I'm looking at me, you know, somebody who's just getting started in their leadership journey, somebody in their early 20s who's realizing that, you know, hey, I'm in this leadership role and leadership is more than just me having a title or more than just me, uh, you know, making a certain salary or, or, or accomplishing a certain thing. What would you say, especially with the, the perspective that you have now, what would you say your message is to young business leaders? Well, I would say to the, the, the up and coming young business leaders that you have to have a purpose and you have to be a visionary. And I know that's interesting coming from a guy who's vision impaired, but it's very true. If you actually have a vision of something, a lot of people are going to not want to see that come into clarity. And it's your job to make sure that you work on it. I mean, to be a, become a great leader, you have to work on the craft. You have to work mm -hmm. on the art form. I don't give a care if you're doing comedy. I don't care if you're trying to be a, a, a business investor. I don't care if you're like fresh out of college. You have to make sure that you protect your own gift. Because if you don't protect it, man, the, the world is cutthroat and they will like eat you up alive if, and they will snatch your ideas and, and they will steal whatever they can from you if you don't protect it. But if you protect it, you work on the blueprint each and every day. And don't tell everybody, young entrepreneurs, don't tell everybody your ideas because we live in a social media world now where you put all your ideas up, someone is sitting silently watching every move that you make and they're gonna take those ideas as well. So you give someone, you give them snippets but you make sure you protect that blueprint, get your copyrights, you know, make sure you brand yourself, market yourself on the next level, be different, stand out, and then watch the customers are going to come building that clientele, baby. Hey, I love it. I love it. Leon, I appreciate you taking the time to share your very personal message with us and, and kind of share your perspective with our audience. I hope that kind of through this, uh, they're able to read between the lines and see the importance of finding that purpose, see the importance of kind of looking at what uniquely makes you, you. And that's where the true value is. I don't want to buy a carbon copy of something else. I don't want to get the second best Leon the Jokester. I want the real thing. And so hopefully if, if you're, you're on that journey and you're learning and you're growing, that you're looking for ways to be uniquely yours. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast.